You're listening to the Sojourn Church New Albany sermon series, Questions from God. This series will seek to answer the questions, what does God think about us given what we've done and what has been done to us? How does God respond to our sin and suffering? What is his posture towards us? And what does that mean for our posture towards each other? The answers we'll discover will reveal the character and heart of God to a people burdened by guilt and fatigue. Now hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 17, verses 18 through 23. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, Sojourn. Peace be with you. It's good to see you guys. My name's Jonah. I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn. Uh, Thanks for being with us. Real quick, I don't know if y'all noticed what happened on stage, but uh, my goodness. Um, Kisa and Darian, you got to give us a warning next time before you just come. So uh, thanks be to God for your gifts and for serving us. Uh, That was deeply encouraging. Um, Yeah, I'm not right right now. I don't know where I am, but uh, I'm here. So thank you guys so much for being with us and for serving us. Um, Our mission at Sojourn is to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, to build them up as his church, and to send them to follow Jesus in their everyday lives throughout the world. And we get such a beautiful picture of that this morning. Uh, Michael and Jordan Miller have been a part of our church for a long, long time. We love them dearly, and we're celebrating the fact that we get to send them to be part of a new church plant. Um, A lot of the folks who are in this room were part of a church plant. Uh, Sojourn Community Church was planted in the highlands of Louisville in 2000, and in 2012, they sent some folks over here to southern Indiana to start a church. We're here because church planting has happened, and we are grateful to be a part of helping a new church get started. And I'm grateful that we get to hear from Pastor Scott Long this morning. Um, I knew right away when I met Scott, Michael and Jordan were our common denominator. That's how I met Scott several years ago. But then when I knew I liked him was when we started talking Disney together. So he's a man who loves Disney, which means you can trust him. Um, But you go anywhere, I'm telling you guys. Y'all know I struggle with exaggerating a little bit. I'm working on it. But you go almost anywhere and find somebody who's leading in ministry somewhere or who's given their life vocationally to ministry, working on staff at a church, almost anywhere in Louisville, and you say, hey, who who discipled you at first? Or who who brought you to the Lord? And they'll say, Scott Long brought me to the Lord at the University of Louisville. Uh, This man, his reputation precedes him. Uh, The Lord's hand is upon him, and he's doing something beautiful in the south end of Louisville. It's a privilege for us as Sojourn Church New Albany to be a part of what the Lord is doing with Scott Long. And so it's a privilege for us to hear from him this morning. So if you would, welcome Pastor Scott Long to the stage with you. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. Um, I'm with him. I I wasn't ready for the worship this morning, especially this brother over here on the keys. I don't know. Where's my brother on the keys right here? 
Um, this brother can sing with an A, not sing. He can sing right there. That is a, a gift from the Lord. Um, I enjoy any opportunity that I get to open God's word with God's people and just to talk about the goodness of Christ and what Christ has uh, called us to as the church. And so it is a humbling opportunity to be able to, uh, to preach with you this morning and uh, just to celebrate Michael and Jordan and, and the way that the Lord is leading them. They have become dear friends of mine, and I'm so excited to watch them be obedient to God's call upon their lives and, uh, and so thankful for your church to, to be generous with some of your best people. That's what it looks like to grow the kingdom as you have a loose hand with your best resources and your best people. Uh, if you want to give us another singer, we would love to have this brother right here. Uh, no, just kidding. But I'm so thankful for them. And I'm so thankful for your pastor. I've gotten to know your pastor, obviously, through Michael over the last couple of years. But I got to sit with him uh, for about 20 minutes uh, last week. We sat and we talked for about 20 minutes. And I knew in 20 minutes that this was a, a man after God's own heart and a true shepherd of God's people. And I hope you guys know how blessed you are to have Jonah Sage leading this church. So thankful, so thankful for him. But if you do have a copy of God's Word, we are going to be in John 17 in the passage that the sister read for us. I'm going to read it again until you're hearing John 17. We're going to be in verses 18 down through verse 23. John 17, 18 down through 23. And I'm just going to read it until you're hearing. This is the Word of God. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. I want to preach this morning from John 17 on the subject, becoming one for the mission. Becoming one for the mission. I love stained glass windows. Stained glass window, if you go into an old church, a stained glass window has the ability as a piece of art to bring any room to life. What a stained glass window is, is is a bunch of random different pieces of glass, different shapes and different sizes, different colors. In fact, if you were to see a stained glass window before it's the finished product, it would look like a pile of mess on the floor, right? Different fragments that look like they have no business really being together. But then you take a skillful designer and somebody who has a vision for that broken piece of mess, and he begins to fit them together and mold them together, and out comes this beautiful, unified masterpiece. By themselves, they're a mess, but together, they're a masterpiece. And I believe that is what the church of Jesus Christ ought to look like. 
that you and I, we come from different backgrounds and different cultures and different shapes and different sizes. And you've got pieces of glass that are, that are white pieces and black pieces and Latino pieces and Asian pieces and, and Arab pieces. And then you take a skillful designer, we'll call him Jesus, and he holds us all together by his blood. And what comes out of us is a beautiful masterpiece for the glory of God. I believe that is what Jesus is praying for here in this passage. It's what the Lord has really stirred me up is that that we ought to be able to see the church to really be a fulfillment of Jesus's prayer in John 17. That we are unified, they come from all different places, but we're unified for the mission of Christ and for the glory of God. We look at this passage, what we're looking at is called the high priestly prayer. If you ever want to know what Jesus prays about, if you ever want to know what's going on in Jesus's prayer closet, it's John 17. Jesus is praying for many different things, but one of the things that he prays for is for the unity, the oneness of the church. He's praying for this. I don't know about you, but when I look at America today, when I look at the landscape of the Western church, I don't see a fulfillment of John 17. Martin Luther King Jr. was once famously quoted as saying that the most segregated hour in all of the week in the United States is 11 o'clock on Sunday mornings, right? Because what you have is you've got the black church that meets over here, and you've got the white church that meets over here, and the Asian church meets over there, and the Latino church meets over there, and we're all divided with all of this division. Now, Dr. King said that over 55 years ago, but when we look at America today, a lot of the same divisions still exist. A lot of the same bitterness still exists. A lot of the mistrust and a lot of the mistreatment still exists. And so what would it look like for the church of Jesus Christ to become a fulfillment of Jesus's prayer in John 17? That's my heart for really beginning this new gospel work in Louisville is that God burdened me that we ought to be a visible demonstration of the power of the gospel to unite people, not just to God, but to one another, right? That as Ephesians chapter two says that that in the blood of Jesus Christ, we are created into a new man. There's one new man that Jesus has created by his blood. So I actually have a very diverse and multi-ethnic, multicultural family. I am actually a biracial man. My, my father's black. My mother's white. My, my wife is biracial as well. She's Mexican and Norwegian. And so my kids are like a bag of Skittles, man. They're just all mixed up. They're one new category of person. And that's what Jesus makes us by his blood. And he places us in the kingdom of God. And now the kingdom of God overrides and supersedes all of our other previous identities, And it helps us to relate to one another based on the word of God and not our culture. And so this is a fulfillment of a prayer that Jesus had about the church becoming one. And I want us to notice some things that he says here. Notice it again in verse 18. He says, as you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. And when Jesus was sent, how many of y'all know Jesus was sent on a rescue mission? Jesus left the comforts of glory and he came into the world on a rescue mission to save sinners, you and I, from our sins and to make us sons and daughters of God. That's why he came. 
Jesus says about himself to Zacchaeus that he came, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why he came into the world. And so when he's praying for us here, he's saying that I want them to be on the same mission that I came on. Right, Charles Spurgeon, that great Baptist preacher in London, England, he has a quote that he says that every time I hear it, it gets up into my socks. He says this, that every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Think about that. He says, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. In other words, the gospel came to you and I because it was on its way to somebody else. And just like Jesus came into the world in order to rescue people from their sins, God has sent you and I into the world to do the same thing. He saved us in order to send us. Right, And so he's placed you in your neighborhood in order to be sent, to seek and to save the lost. He's placed you on your job in order to seek and to save the lost. He's placed you in your family and at your school in order to seek and save the lost. That's what he is sending us to do. That's what he's praying about. One of the most strategic ways that we can be sent, the way that Jesus was sent, is to plant churches. It's to go into new territory and to to stir up the ground for the gospel and to share the life-transforming good news of Jesus Christ and to call people into the family of God. We've got to be sent in order to do that. Because how many of y'all know that if we think that we're just going to kind of plop up and, you know, set up our shop and expect other people to cross over into our context and our culture and our neighborhood, man, we'll never reach them. So we've got to be sent as Jesus was sent. That's what he's praying for. But being sent is hard, isn't it? Being sent is hard because we love the comforts of what's natural and what's normal to us. Sometimes in in the mornings when my alarm clock goes off and I'm sleeping good, I hit that sanctified snooze button. Anybody got a sanctified snooze button on their phone, right? And we hit that because we're comfortable in our beds. Man, I got one of those beds that's got a mattress, that the memory foam, and it gives you a hug when you're sleeping in that bad boy, and it feels good and comfortable as you're sleeping there. And so when the alarm clock goes off, I want to hit the snooze. Y'all, if we're not careful, we can treat the mission of Jesus Christ in the same way. That Jesus is sounding the alarm and he's saying, I've sent you into the world to to seek and to save the lost. And if we're not careful, we'll just kind of keep hitting that snooze button, man, because we're comfortable. We're comfortable with our friendships and and our relationships that we don't want to leave behind. That's difficult. Michael and Jordan love the people of this church. I've had conversations with them about how difficult it is, how hard it is to walk away from some of those relationships. And it's hard. It's hard to leave an established church. It's hard to leave something where you've got your programs and and your small groups and you've got good preaching, you've got good worship, and and we don't want to leave those things. But how many of you know that the urgency of the mission is greater than our need to be comfortable? The urgency of the mission is greater than our need to be comfortable. Man, understanding that there are thousands of people in Kentuckiana and millions of people in the United States and billions of people around the world, many of them, if they died today apart from knowing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, would spend eternity in a place called hell. 
And y'all, sometimes when I'm preaching to my church and when I'm discipling people and encouraging people and challenging people, I wonder if we still believe in the reality of hell. Like, do we still believe that the Bible says that when people die apart from God, when people die apart from surrendering to Jesus Christ, they spend eternity in a place called hell of conscious torment and judgment from a holy God? So, man, I pray for myself and for my church that, that, that we would have a compassion for the lost and what happens to people, and that love would compel us to go just like it compelled Jesus to come. You see, when Jesus says, send them, Lord, as you sent me into the world, what we've got to understand is what did Jesus give up in order to come here? I believe we have this passage on the screen, Philippians chapter 2. Do we have that, that passage? He says this, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So, man, you want to talk about comfort, man. Jesus was chilling in the glory of glories with the feet kicked up on the throne of glory. Right? You want to talk about good worship music. Jesus had the host of heaven singing his praises for all of eternity. Right? Sojourn music is off the chain, but it ain't the glories of heaven. Jesus' small group was the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet he was willing to give all of that up in order to come to earth to rescue us from our sins because our lostness was greater and more urgent than his comfort. And he was willing to walk away from it all in order to rescue you and I. That's the mission that we're on. I read an article recently about John Piper. How many of you guys know who John Piper is? Incredible preacher, theologian. He can preach the pain off the walls. And this article was about how John Piper, he, he lives in Minneapolis, Minnesota. It was the, the, the centerpiece of national news after George Floyd was killed by a police officer, and it was the center of riots. And it talked about how John Piper's home was right there in the hood in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Now, I don't know if you know what John Piper looks like, but he's about the furthest thing away from the hood that you could ever imagine, okay? Think, you know, Mr. Rogers goes to seminary. That's John Piper. And, and, but he lives in the hood on purpose for the last 40 years because he wants to be light in a dark place. And what this article was talking about was how after the riots of, of George Floyd, how every, all of these, these riots were erupting in the streets where many people would have run to, ran away and sought help and sought, sought shelter, John Piper's church mobilized hundreds of Christians to run to the fray. He mobilized hundreds of Christians to go and to begin to pray with people and to begin to love people and share the gospel with people because that's our mission. That lostness in souls, y'all, has to be more urgent for us than comfort and what's natural. Jesus could have remained in heaven and just kind of kicked his feet up, but he thought that we were so, so worthy of him leaving it all behind so that he could bring us to the Father. He could die for our sins and rise again and give us a new name. He says, Father, send them. 
as you have sent me. This is the mission that we're on. But what I want you guys to see from this passage is that our unity is critical to our mission. Notice what he says in verse 20. I do not ask only for for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, circle that, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Jesus here is praying for the unity of the church. He's not just praying for his disciples. He says, I'm praying for those who will believe in me through their testimony. That's us. He's praying for us. And what he's praying for is our unity and oneness. If you're taking notes this morning, I want to give you a definition for unity. Tony Evans defines unity as this. Unity is oneness of purpose, but not sameness of being. I'll say that again. Unity is oneness of purpose, but not sameness in being. In other words, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not that we're together because everybody looks the same and everybody acts the same and everybody speaks the same. That's not unity. In fact, it doesn't take a whole lot of Holy Spirit power to pull that off. We do that naturally. We do that naturally. We gather around people that look like us and think like us and act like us and vote like us naturally. What is unity is when folk who look different and act different and think different come together for a common goal, which is the glory of Christ. I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. Maybe you write it down in your notes or in the margin of your Bible. Do your relationships require the Holy Spirit to pull them off? Do your relationships require the power of the Holy Spirit to pull them off? Because that is unity. That's what Jesus is praying for. He prays it three different times in four verses. Notice it again in verse 21. He says that they may all be one. Verse 22, that they may be one even as we are one. Verse 23, that they may become perfectly one over and over and over again. Jesus is praying for the unity and the oneness of the church. I have folks who will come up and ask me all the time. They'll say, um, Scott, why do you talk about diversity and, and race and unity so much? And I'll say, because Jesus does. Why are you always harping on this? Why are you always talking about this? Why do you think it's important to plant a church that's multi-ethnic and multi-cultural? And I'll say, because Jesus does. Jesus has a dream for this. Jesus has a prayer for this. And how many of you guys, we saw it this morning. We saw the beauty of what happens when different kinds of people, different churches with different skill sets and different looks, they come together and they harmonize. That's beautiful, isn't it? We got a living demonstration and illustration this morning of what God wants to do through his church. God is most glorified when, when there's black brothers and sisters and white brothers and sisters and Latino brothers and sisters and Asian brothers and sisters who all come together and they set aside their differences for the greater denominator that unifies us, which is the blood of Christ. Before Martin Luther King ever had a dream, Jesus had a prayer for our unity. Because when the world sees our unity, it sees the power of the gospel to make former enemies not just friends, y'all, but family. 
I'll read it again. Notice what he says in verse 22. The glory that you have given to me, I have given to them that they may be one even as we are one. How many of you guys know this morning that even though this is the vision that Jesus has for the church, there are a lot of things that are working against that vision in our day? And one of the things that really just kind of broke my heart and burdened me about starting a new multi-ethnic, multicultural work in Louisville was the summer of 2020. Y'all remember summer of 2020? It feels like five years ago, but it just happened, summer of 2020. And the way that the church responded to that summer, man, it broke my heart. I've often longed for a church that, that reflected heaven and a church that reflected the New Testament where I could bring people from all cultures and they felt like they were at home. And then summer of 2020 hit. And Maude Arbery and Breonna Taylor and a divisive election and COVID-19 and the way that the church responded to one another, man, it, it broke my heart. And I began to ask God, I began to pray and ask God, and I said, Lord, why is it that, that BLM and the NBA and all of these different organizations, why are they leading the charge when you've given that to your people, you've given that to the church to lead the charge in that? Justice and unity is not a social construct. Those are God's ideas from the Bible. And man, I don't agree with all of the tenets and the components of BLM and organizations like that, but these organizations are fighting for what they think will bring unity while the church is fighting against one another. You've got people who used to be friends and used to be in small group together and their kids used to play together. Now they can't even be civil with one another because of their arguments over CRT and BLM and mask rights and all of these things. And what are we doing? Not only is it not Jesus' vision for the church, how many of y'all know this morning that actually hurts our mission? It hurts our mission when the world is looking and they're saying, man, it's chaotic out here, but it's chaotic in there too. I'd rather stay out here where it's comfortable in my sin. Like if we are upholding a gospel that can somehow call people to repent from, from lust and pornography and pride and materialism, but it can't call us to treat one another as decent human beings in the family of God, what kind of gospel are we preaching? You mean to tell me that the gospel of Jesus Christ can resurrect the dead, but it can't get Democrats and Republicans to play nice together in the family of God? And so it compelled me to plant and to, to, to strategically plant a work in which we were pursuing multi-ethnic and multicultural unity for the glory of God. Jesus continues to pray here. He says in verse 23, I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. So as Jesus is praying for our unity, he's saying that he wants our unity to reflect the unity of the Trinity or the Godhead. God has always from eternity existed as one God, one being in three distinct persons. And so God in himself is unity in diversity. 
And he says, I want my church to reflect the Trinity. And I just want to lift for you four principles this morning. If you're taking notes, you can write them down. Four principles about how the church can reflect the unity of the Trinity. Number one is that the Trinity exists as co-equals. Trinity exists as co-equals. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are all equally God. There's no superiority complex within the Trinity that the Father, it says, the Father is one with the Son. In Acts chapter 5, it says that when Ananias and Sapphira lied about their offering, Peter accused them of lying to both God and the Holy Spirit. So they are all equally one. There's no superiority complex. Y'all, what would it look like if we did church like that? What would it look like if we actually believed that black brothers and sisters and Latino brothers and sisters and Asian brothers and sisters had just as much to contribute theologically as anybody else? Right? That scholarship and writing books and teaching and preaching wasn't just kind of reserved for an elite class or culture, that, that, that we are all equal in that. What would it look like if we started to believe that just because something is different doesn't make it inferior? It just means that it's different. It could actually help us to improve as the body of Christ. Number one, the Trinity exists as co-equals. Number two, the Trinity is humbly for one another. They're humbly for one another. All throughout Scripture, the Bible tells us that God the Father glorifies the Son, and the Son glorifies the Father, and the Holy Spirit glorifies them all. They take turns honoring one another because they're humbly for one another. Y'all, if we want to be unified in diversity, we've got to be humbly for our brothers and sisters. We've got to humble ourselves sometimes and die to our preferences and die to the way that we think things ought to be, and we ought to defer to the needs of other people. To be humbly for one another, how many of y'all know that that means that we've got to be able to weep with one another when we go through things that hurt? Right? What would you say to me about my ability to be a husband if my wife came to me with something that hurt her and I said, oh man, stop, you know, grow up, you know, put some big pants on. What would y'all say to me as a husband? We should be no less for one another in the body of Christ. Right? That when black brothers and sisters experience injustice and police brutality against them, y'all, I got to be able to cry about that. I got to be able to weep about that. When there are systems that keep second-class citizens in a perpetual state of second-class citizenship, i got to be able to weep over that. I've got to be able to do that at the same time while lamenting with brothers and sisters when police officers experience violence against their community simply by trying to do their jobs. We've got to be humbly for one another that when my brothers and sisters hurt, I got to be able to hurt and lament too. Here's the third one is that the Trinity has enjoyed intimate fellowship from the very beginning of creation. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they've always, from the very beginning of creation in Genesis, they've always experienced intimate fellowship fellowship. And if you and I want to be a unified church, we've got to have intimate fellowship with people who are different than us. 
never forget I had an experience over this summer. How many of y'all had some uncomfortable conversations this past summer? Anybody just like some uncomfortable conversations? I had a conversation with a brother who came into my office after I preached a message, and he was offended by some things that I said. And I challenged people in that message. I said, you ought to have some relationships with people who disagree with you on some things that you can work through that and you can leave that and still say, I'm your brother, I'm your sister, I'm for you, I love you. And so he came to my office and he said, man, I got a disagreement with you, Pastor Scott. I said, let's talk. And we spent the last probably an hour and a half in a pretty heated discussion and disagreement on some things. And I said, hey, man, one of those applications to the sermon was that you would build friendships with somebody who disagreed with you. Have you started on that? And he said, well, what about us? How about we have a relationship? And he said, I've got some property that's kind of out in the county, and it's kind of out in some woods, and I have a shooting range back there. Would you like to go shooting with me? And I'm like, man, we just had this heated disagreement for an hour. You want me to? That don't sound fun at all. <laughs> but I decided to do it, and, and we go there, and he begins to talk to me about his experiences as a police officer on the force for many years. And he started to tell me stories about brothers and sisters who have had to go down to the riots and serve in the riots and put their life on the line every single night with their family back home, praying, wondering whether or not they're going to make it home. And after having that experience and talking with him and doing gospel community with somebody who's different than me, it removed my ability to categorize all people as this or that. I believe it's Dr. Eric Mason who says that proximity breeds empathy and distance breeds suspicion. You got to get close to some people who are different than you. You can start to hear their stories and feel what they feel and see what they see. Here's the fourth one. The Trinity is primarily focused on salvation. The Trinity is primarily focused on salvation. God the Father makes the plan. God the Son sheds his blood for the plan. And God the Holy Spirit draws us to the plan. From all of eternity, God has been about seeking and saving the lost above all else. Y'all, if we want to be unified in diversity, we have got to make the main thing the main thing. We've got to get away from this every four years trying to marry the gospel to our favorite political party. We've got to get away from that. God does not need a politician. God does not need legislature. God does not need any man-made mechanism to change the world. We need to get out and give us the one thing that he gave us, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ to go and to preach about the blood, to go and preach about the one thing that'll turn people's hearts over, and that's the gospel. What happens when we become citizens of the kingdom of God is we begin to say that the word of God overrides all of my previous allegiances. Y'all, there's people on both sides of the aisle here who have been getting this wrong. I don't care what color you are. I don't care what culture you are. If your culture is overriding your allegiance to Jesus and causing you to disobey the Bible, then you are in sin and you need to repent. There's black folks who are getting this wrong. There's white folks who are getting this wrong. Let's stop talking about all of the things that divide us and the one thing that unites us, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Let's prioritize that and to get on mission together that we might be united as the Trinity is united. I don't know how y'all end services here, but I got one last point and I'm going to be in my seat. The last thing that Jesus says is that we are unified, not for unity's sake, but for the sake of the mission. Notice what he says in verse 23 again. I in them and you in me, that they may be perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Y'all, how many of you know that there's a lot of organizations out there that are calling for unity, but they're calling for it void of truth and biblical standards? The Tower of Babel was unity void of the glory of God coexist in different organizations like that. They're calling everybody to play nice and get along, but it's void of the glory of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus is saying, make them one so that the world may actually believe what you tell them about the gospel. I'll close with this story. You can come on up here, brother. I don't know if you're coming to play or what you're doing, but I'm going to close with this story. Not too long ago, my church went out and we were going door to door and we're sharing the gospel with people for this new church plant. I'm in a small group that's incredibly diverse. You've got myself. We had a Puerto Rican brother who was with us. We had this middle-aged white lady who had this incredibly stunning white hair. And we were just an eclectic group of people who were out on the street that day. We're walking through the street and we're knocking on doors and this guy comes running out of his house and stops us and he says, hey, 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 what are y'all? He's like, what is this? I saw you guys walking through the street and you're a bunch of weird looking group of people to be hanging out together. And he says, the world tells me that y'all shouldn't be together, but like, what is this? And he asked us what we were. We got an opportunity to talk to that man about Jesus. We got an opportunity to talk to that man about the one name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved, the one name that can make us into a family, the family of God, by dying on the cross for us and rising from the grave. Y'all, it's time that the church of Jesus Christ started looking a little weird. It's time that the church of Jesus Christ started looking so strange to people that they come running and they say, hey, what is this? It's time that the church of Jesus Christ started looking so different and so peculiar and so unique that people are coming and they're saying, what on earth could make this kind of people love one another? And we get to talk about the blood. We get to talk about the one who lived. We get to talk about the one who died. We get to talk about the one who raised from the grave. The one who says, all who come to me, no matter what background, no matter what culture, no matter what color, no matter who you are, if you come to Jesus, he'll make you one. We've got a mission. Our mission is to seek and to save the lost. And we've got a choice. We can either be a bridge to that mission or we can be a barrier to that mission. Our oneness is a bridge to the mission of Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. 
Keep in touch with Sojourn New Albany on Facebook or download the free Sojourn Collective app for iPhone or Android, where you can see our full library of sermon series audio and video, discussion questions, event calendar, ministries, and much more.